Spirit Catholic Radio, KVSS. We are Catholic Radio for the Christian community. Good morning. Welcome to Spirit Mornings with Bruce McGregor and Chris McGregor. Joined this morning again by award-winning author and lawyer Wesley Smith. He's a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute, also an attorney for the International Task Force on Euthanasia and Assisted Suicide, and a special consultant for the Center for Bioethics and Culture. Now, he did leave full-time practice of law back in the mid-80s to pursue a career in writing and public advocacy has also authored or co-authored at least 11 books that we're aware of. And mm-hmm. one of the big ones, of course, Forced Exit, uh, The Slippery Slope from Assisted Suicide to Legalized Murder, that came out in 1997 originally, uh, has been updated and revised paperback in 2003 and updated again last year. It's fantastic. Under the new title, Forced Exit, Euthanasia, Assisted Suicide, and the New Duty to Die. Also, we want to point you to Wesley's weblog, Secondhand Smoke, that defends the unique moral value and importance of human life and is read by thousands each week. Including this McGregor. There we go. Mm-hmm. And Wesley, we'd like to take this opportunity to welcome you back to the program again. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, and Happy New Year, and I always like talking to readers of Secondhand Smoke. Well, you're talking to him right here because I, I wouldn't miss it, especially now in the days of the extraordinarily slippery slope we seem to find ourselves on. It is pretty remarkable, isn't it? And and I have to say, one of the things I'm proudest about in terms of the work I'm doing on my blog is I'm able to keep people really up to date on all of the various things that are threatening the unique value of human life. And I'm also able to connect the dots between stories that may seem to have little connection. Yeah, I think you have such a gift for an eye of sensing what's happening in the culture and sounding the alarm bells for us. And there are so many different stories out there right now that I just, you know, and we know you're so busy. We just appreciate your time Mm -hmm. uh, taking out to talk to us. Oh, it's my great pleasure, and thank you for having me. Several issues come right to mind, especially for a lot of our listeners, will be the work that was done in Washington this past week trying to pass, the news media called it the stem cell research funding. Do you notice how they never use the term embryonic stem cell research funding? You think there's a reason for that? Uh, I wonder. I wonder. (laughs) Uh, Could it be that when most of the American people hear the words embryonic stem cell research, they go, "Uh uh-uh? Well, I I do think that there is a a playing with the words because uh, when some of these acts uh, or proposals are explicitly and accurately described, support for them tends to drop. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, there is an attempt to uh, pretend that stem cell research does not involve, uh, when it's embryonic, the destruction of the embryo for political reasons. It was fascinating to watch even just the local reporting here in Omaha when the announcement was made concerning the amniotic fluid. They were able to have some very viable stem cells. From the amniotic fluid. Yes, exactly. From the amniotic fluid. And what they're finding is that there are tremendously, potentially efficacious stem cells mm-hmm. in every live birth. There are stem cells, tremendous stem cells in the umbilical cord blood, uh, in umbilical cord blood tissue, I mean, in, in umbilical cord tissue, that is, uh, in the amniotic fluid, uh, and those same stem cells are found in the placenta. That means we have 4 million births each year in this country, live births. Mm-hmm. Each and every one of them comes with a cornucopia of potential uh, life-saving uh, medical uh, uh, substances and uh, uh, substances that could be used for basic research. Right. Which kind of begs the question, Wesley, why this tendency for everyone to hang their hat on the embryonic stuff and dismiss, uh, in large part, a lot of these other newer kind of breakthroughs that come through? 
Yeah, the uh, adult stem cells, umbilical cord blood stem cell kinds of breakthroughs tend to be damned with faint praise uh, or uh, basically ignored, and of course that's all about politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, it strikes, so by the way, is the fact that uh, embryonic stem cell research in humans is being uh, very well funded by the federal government. People think, oh, the, the, uh, that the Bush policy means there's no money going for this research, and that's not true. $50 million in 2005 for human embryonic stem cell research using the lines that President Bush approved. Uh, there was another, I think, $90 million, uh, give or take, for animal embryonic stem cell research. So that's more than $100 million in 2005 alone to study embryonic stem cells. Um, What's going on here, in my view, is a bigger uh, debate than the uh, whether this is, you know, what is the best in terms of uh, the science. And and realize this is not a science debate, it's an ethics debate. Right, Mm -hmm. exactly. Um, It's bigger than that. It's bigger than the ethics of that particular issue. It's bigger than certainly than the science and and the potentialities and even the money. What this is about is value systems and Mm -hmm. which value system will predominate in society. Uh, The traditional value system is that human life has intrinsic value, and if uh, that is true, then there are things we can do and things we can't do. Uh, This is being... uh, attempted to be supplanted, if you will, by a quality-of-life standard of, of value uh, in which being human is not what gives one moral value. It is whether one is a person. That's the bioethics view. That is, if you, you must have sufficient uh, cognitive capacities to have moral value uh, that earns you uh, instead of having it come uh, with, the, the, with being human. You have to earn it by having like being self-aware over time and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, so the argument is that uh, these embryos are not persons because, and it's true, they don't have brains, they don't have nervous systems, uh, but under this view, neither are fetuses persons because they're not conscious. Uh, newborn infants are not deemed persons by many in bioethics because they're not self-aware over time, and that's why Peter Singer of uh, Princeton University says that parents should be allowed to kill their babies if they, if they don't serve the interests of the family. Mm. Wow. People like Terry Schiavo, uh, uh, who have had these capacities but lost them due to injury or illness, are called non-persons, and therefore um, uh, many have advocated that people in that condition be used to harvest organs and do medical experiments. So what we're talking about here is whether or not we're going to have a society that devalues some human lives to the point that they can be seen as mere natural resources and crops uh, ripe for the harvest. And this is a very, very crucial debate. And the the, um, fight over funding, I mean, think about it. What are we talking about in the fight over the Bush plan, the Bush policy? It's over how much money the federal government will will give for this research and under what circumstances. Mm -hmm. That's not normally a huge fight worthy of the kind of of, um, hysterical headlines and and hyperbole that you see. Mm -hmm. It's because it isn't about that. It's about something much bigger. Is it centered on the money? Is it basically about the money that can be made I, from the patents? I or think we could, I think we could say it's centered on the blank check. And by the blank check, I mean the scientists uh, who, who, and let's, let's concede, they want, they believe and, and, and want to do good with this research. Sure. They believe and want uh, to be able to allevi- ameliorate human suffering. Uh, they also want to get rich, but that's all right. That's part of the American way. Mm-hmm. 
but it's about getting a blank check. I mean, it, this works, again, we're not saying, and President Bush has not said, you cannot do this research. He has said that there are going to be certain limits on federal funding of this research. The other blank check they want is an ethics blank check. There is a real growing hubris, in my view, in the sci- among the science intelligentsia. I'm not talking about bench scientists and the people who go in every day and do the hard work. Mm-hmm. But the people who are leading the scientific community, if you will, a hubris that only scientists can say what is moral in science. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exceedingly dangerous, and frankly, it's un-American, because the American way is to have checks and balances. I'm a lawyer, and I'm glad you don't hold that against me. No, 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 no. But not I you, Wesley. Do, I can't, lawyers are not, don't just set the ethics of their profession. Now, certainly they're deeply involved in it, but the society also has things to say. The same thing is true about doctors. The same thing is true about hairdressers. There are things that society has a right to demand, and one of them is to put proper moral parameters around the scientific endeavor. Uh, we've seen, because after all, science is amoral, and it's extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. And if, if we don't have proper ethics around science, it can go into very dark places. So it isn't just up to the scientists what is ethical and moral in science. It is up to all of us. That's the American way. That's consistent with checks and balances, and it's consistent with democracy. Isn't it true, Wesley, that there are other ethical issues besides the taking of what we would consider a human life and destroying the embryonic cells to those small humans to take their their genetic information, just even the creation of those by using, say, for example, somatic cell nuclear transfer, where you would have to use eggs to implant their genetic code. Yeah, Yeah, let let me explain how that works. Okay. First off, embryonic stem cell research under the Bush plan and under the, under the uh, um, House bill that just passed would be limited to expanding federal funding for uh, embryonic stem cells derived from what are called the leftover uh, embryos that are frozen from uh, in vitro fertilization fertility treatments. Mm-hmm. That, of course, is not, that is the opening uh, act. That is not the conclusion of this, sure. this struggle. Because you now see a great deal of pressure for expanding it, what is called embryonic stem cell research, but that's a misnomer. They want to do human cloning, somatic cell nuclear transfer. And that would be to create new life for the very purpose of researching upon it and destroying it. And this is known as asexual reproduction. And, and that's how Dolly the Sheep came into being. Mm-hmm. And, and as you, let me just describe how that works real quickly for people. It's, it's hard to do. It still really hasn't been done in humans, um, but it's easy to explain. We all know that every human being has 46 chromosomes. Right? Mm-hmm. So what you do is you uh, take an egg, as you mentioned, you take out the nucleus. We all know that every cell has a nucleus if we took high school biology. Right. You then take what is known as a somatic cell, which sounds like it's all complicated. It's just a body cell. Somatic means body. Let's say a skin cell, as you mentioned. And let's say you're going to clone me. Why you'd want to do that, I don't know. But let's say you were going to clone me. You take one of my skin cells. You take out the nucleus. You put it where the egg nucleus used to be because you've taken out the nucleus of the egg. Mm -hmm. You now have a genetically modified egg that instead of having half the chromosomes, 23, that when meeting with the sperm would have 23, has a total of 46, you already have the 46. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You then stimulate the egg, and if it works, the egg, the properties of the egg perceives that it has been fertilized, 
because there are 46 chromosomes. And it transforms into an embryo, as in fertilization. This is asexual reproduction. Um, and uh, normal fertilization would be known as sexual reproduction. Mm-hmm. Right. At that point, the cloning is done. There is no more cloning. It's over, because a new, in this case, human life will have been created. It's nascent organism, an embryo, and it would develop thereafter like any other embryo if it worked. Mm-hmm. The reason why scientists want to do that, they say, is so that they can take these stem cells from the cloned embryo, which they, by the way, don't admit is cloning because that's for political reasons, too, and mm-hmm. undermines the science by corrupting the integrity of science by having definitions change for political purposes rather than scientific purposes. Mm-hmm. That's an aside. Uh, they, they, if, if you're going to try to treat me with stem cells taken uh, from my embryo, the chances are my body would not reject them mm-hmm. because the, um, the chromosomes would be identical, the DNA, as opposed to taking an, a stem cell from, a, from an embryo that was left over uh, from fertility treatments would have different DNA than me, and my body might perceive those cells as being foreign and thus attack them as a, as a transplanted organ is attacked, requiring then strong immune-suppressing drugs. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, of course, this cloning would not be the end of it because uh, a lot of the future things on the plate are learning how to genetically engineer. Well, you need cloning to do that so you can make the same genetic, uh, identically genetic embryo again and again to see how the uh, chromosomes and the genes interact. Uh, fetal farming is clearly on the table. Some of the better stem cells, that, uh, normal embryonic stem cells cause tumors mm-hmm. yep. and therefore are unsafe for use in humans. However, later stage stem cells in embryos may not cause tumors because they're beginning to differentiate and so they're, they're not as prolific. That means they're not going to become all different kinds of tissues. So, but you can't get those later stage stem cells in a Petri dish embryo. You have to gestate it, say, for six weeks. Mm. That means or placing it in a womb, correct? A, a, either a real animal or artificial. Right. Oh. And artificial wombs are supposed to be online in about 10 years, 5 years, 10 years. Oh, God help So us. as we move forward, once you accept the, the principle that it is acceptable to create human life for the purpose of researching upon it, once you accept the principle that as long as, the, as that embryo is not going to be brought to birth, it is not fully human, and is not a person, then why in the world would you limit yourself to these early embryos that may not be as efficacious, that may not have as much to teach us, and that may be more dangerous to use? Why in the world wouldn't you, once you've accepted those principles, move on to um, embryo harvesting, embryo farming, and fetal farming? And by the way, I'm not just being an alarmist. New Jersey has already specifically and explicitly legalized human somatic cell nuclear transfer. It permits implantation in wounds because it does not outlaw it. That which is not against the law is by definition legal mm-hmm. and permits gestation through the ninth month, only requiring that cloned fetus to be killed at the, uh, at the very moment prior to birth. Oh, it cannot my. be done technologically yet. Oh. It is already legal. Fetal farming is legal in New Jersey and not by, uh, by explicit statute. And you might say, well, that was a mistake. It wasn't. They were warned ahead of time, I was part of that, that this is what they were legalizing. They could have amended the bill, for example, to say, well, you cannot implant these cloned embryos. They did not do that. Meanwhile, in seven or eight other states, 
attempts have been made to formally legalize fetal farming in the same way, uh, sometimes using different language. So there's an agenda here. Uh, mm-hmm. And it cannot be done technologically, as I said, but clearly looking out, say, 10, 15, 20 years from now, if the early embryo is seen as a, as a harvestable crop, so too will later embryos and fetuses, so long as the intent of the researchers is not to allow these human non-persons as they would be considered to be born. Now, Wesley, I'm just here sitting and thinking, and and, and again, we just kind of found this fact the other day, that when you talk about this cloning and the need to have these eggs to remove the nucleus, it begs the question, uh, where are these eggs going to come from? Oh, that's an important question, and that's why many non-pro-lifers and non-religious feminists uh, have come out against human cloning. The potential to exploit women for their eggs is quite acute. Mm-hmm. Um, here's, how, here's how eggs are obtained at this time. If a woman is going to, uh, to uh, be, let's say, harvested, I'm using a polemic term there, for her eggs, you have to give her high doses of hormones. Mm-hmm. Right. She releases uh, 10 to 15 eggs in one cycle instead of one. Now, you can imagine that is pretty hard on the body. Sure Sure. is. You've got those ovaries working in ways they're never intended to work, releasing a lot of eggs, and it can lead to serious complications in, in, say, 5 to 10% of the cases. It can possibly, in a few cases, lead to death. Mm -hmm. It can lead to infection. It can lead to sterility. Uh, The eggs have to be removed uh, via a needle through the vaginal wall. Uh, this is not something that a lot of women are going to sign up to do, particularly if it's not to allow them to have their own child. Right. Um, that means eventually you, you're going to get into, since there won't be enough egg donations, egg buying and selling. Mm-hmm. And uh, we already are beginning to see some calls for that because a lot of the scientists in California, for example, where cloning has been legalized, are complaining they don't have enough eggs to do the work. Mm-hmm. I want that. So they're beginning to say, well, we need to be able to, to buy eggs. Well, once you start doing that, who's going to be the sellers? Mm-hmm. The poor. Yeah. You're not going to have middle-class and upper-middle-class women or rich women going to a clinic to go through that process, uh, except maybe on a few rare occasions for people who think the technology must be supported. And, and if you begin to need millions and millions of eggs uh, to help the millions and millions of patients that these scientists are promising will uh, potentially be helped, with the therapeutic cloning, as it's sometimes called, you're going to go to Bangladesh, you're going to go to the Congo, and those women, if, if they start to be uh, excess for their eggs, are not going to have the kind of medical treatment that can be necessary mm-hmm. in the event of side effects and complications. Wow. Now, there's another place where they're looking to get eggs, from aborted female fetuses. Oh, my God. Because uh, <laughs> and they're already doing experiments on this in the, ne- in the Netherlands and Israel, Uh, to try to provide more eggs for in vitro fertilization. And and here's the thing, that a female fetus at six or seven months has all the eggs she will ever have. And so in a late-term abortion, if you get the ovary, then you try to to, uh, access the uh, very immature eggs, and if they can find ways to mature them, then that would be another way perhaps to get eggs. Another way they're looking at eggs, in fact, there are scientists demanding that it be done right now in the United Kingdom, is to use animal eggs and create a mostly human but a little bit animal uh, embryos oh. uh, for this research. Good grief. When That's, you think it can't get any worse. Oh, that, yeah, and, and by the way, the worst, the most dangerous sentence in the, uh, that has ever been uttered, I think, is it can't happen here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
yeah. uh, another place where they may get eggs is uh, from um, uh, cadaver uh, women, oh. uh, uh, which would be less objectionable because if it's a true cadaver, that's no different than uh, than an organ donor. On the other hand, you might end up with a dead woman whose ovaries have been harvested have a clone baby born sometime in the future, you know. Because oh. eventually, once, uh, once the technology gets perfected, um, you're also going to be looking for having babies born who are genetically engineered and enhanced. In fact, there's a whole uh, movement, a social movement, coming out of the high universities called transhumanism. And I urge your listeners to uh, go to the Google or Yahoo search and type in transhumanism and find out what you get. These are people who really want to use these technologies to create a post-human species. Oh, my <sighs> goodness. I'm sure, Wesley, you've seen the baby store in Texas, essentially, where you can have almost designer uh, babies this created. Is, yeah, it's called the Abraham uh, Center for Life, I think it's called, mm-hmm. something like that. And, and this is a beginning of a new eugenics, and this is a woman who, for sale, will uh, create a made-to-order uh, embryos through natural uh, fertilization in the dish, uh, and uh, you can get somebody who looks like you and who has particularly attributes you want, like intelligence and so forth. Uh, and it really is beginning the process, um, and I see this advocated for a lot in bioethics and biotechnology. It's the beginning of a process of having a right not just to have a child, but to have the child we want. It is the beginning of a process of beginning to manufacture our children the way Dell Computers manufactures a computer to order. Mm. Uh, it is the beginning of a process of, and, and in fact this process is already well underway, that the child isn't there for the child's sake. And, he- and loving the child for whoever we receive as, as uh, parents for the child's sake and helping that child become the best person they can become it is to fulfill the parental desires, fulfill the parental um, uh, hopes and yearnings. Uh, and that makes it uh, something less than what I, I think ideally parenthood should be. Yeah, oh. right. yeah it's, it's astonishing to me just how far this goes and how endless it seems to be and the horrific occurrences that can happen. You well, you know, and it comes from one basic uh, mistake. Mm-hmm. People are moving away from the concept of human exceptionalism. What does that mean? The question before us in the 21st century, and the answer to which will determine the morality of this century, is this, in my view. Does human life have intrinsic value simply and merely because it is human? Uh, That's a a natural uh, right, a natural law kind of approach. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, being human has provides with it, once you are in existence, a moral status that does not have to be earned by having attributes and characteristics. It just exists because you are a member of the homo sapien species. Right. Mm-hmm. That's an objective approach, and it's not complicated. And it allows us to pursue science quite aggressively. It allows us to, uh, to treat people uh, in an appropriate manner in healthcare and so forth, valuing each and every one of us. This is the ideal to which we should be striving. We've not achieved it yet, clearly. But that is the ideal. That is being challenged by those who say, no, being human in itself is not what gives moral value. And then the next question becomes, well, what does? And we've already discussed that most in bioethics say, 
having sufficient capacities to be considered a person. Mm -hmm. In the animal rights movement, it's the ability to feel pain, so that if a cow feels pain, which a cow certainly does, and a human feels pain, we're both equal. Mm. And therefore, cattle ranching is the moral equivalent of human slavery. And that is diminishing to human dignity and human well-being because instead of elevating the cow to the human level, it reduces the human to the cow level. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the materialist Darwinists say, well, since we all uh, evolved, and this is not the science, the philosophy, since we all evolved out of the same primordial ooze, and since we share genes with other animals, there really are no moral distinctions to be made. And therefore, um, uh, one life form is as important as another life form. Uh, the deep ecologists go even further and say, well, human beings are, are, are vermin species on the living planet Gaia. Mm. And so you can see that over a, a broad swath of, of, of really nihilistic, in my view, um, anti-human philosophies uh, that are literally trying to turn us into merely another animal in the forest and by knocking us off the pedestal of human exceptionalism. And if that's how we come to perceive ourselves, then self-perception is really crucial to behavior. That's exactly how we will act. Wow. Wesley, I have to pose this question to you because Mm -hmm. a local columnist in the the newspaper started quite a discussion in the community because he said that he was for embryonic stem cell research or the use of those embryos from in vitro fertilization that are not being used because they weren't going anywhere. And he has a child who has suffers from juvenile diabetes, and he is pro her life, that he would like her quality of life to be better. And since those embryos aren't going anywhere, why shouldn't we use that? Well, and that's, that's the question before the House. I wonder if he knows that juvenile diabetes has been completely cured in mice using a combination of adult stem cells and other bodily substances, Mm. a cure in mice. This is now ready for human trials, and the the Harvard uh, researcher cannot get enough money to conduct the human trials. I wonder if he'd like to write a column about that. Mm. Uh, The Juvenile uh, Research Diabetes Foundation won't fund this trial, yet it put $1 million into passing Proposition 71 here in California, uh, which legalized human cloning for research. Now, what, the, what this, uh, what this uh, fellow wrote is, is an important question, because it really does get us to the heart of the matter. I was once confronted when on, on a television show by the same kind of question, and mm-hmm. if I have time, let me describe how that sure. conversation went. Yes. Um, the, the fellow called and said he had a very disabled daughter, and he said, and I was making some of the uh, assertions I've made on this show. And he said, listen, Smith, you know, I don't care about those embryos. I have a disabled daughter, and if those disabled embryos can help my disabled daughter, then I say we use them. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, well, let's explore this. What if I were to tell you that the, em- the cells that would help your daughter wouldn't come from the early embryo, but would come from, say, a six-week uh, gestated embryo because those stem cells wouldn't cause tumors? Would that be acceptable? Quote, yes, anything. I said, all right, well, what about, uh, let's say it was required a uh, six-month fetus, because sometimes these fetal uh, uh, adult stem cells, I mean, they're really fetal stem cells, but we call them adults, sometimes those would work better than perhaps even embryonic. Would that be acceptable? Yes, anything. Mm -hmm. I said, what if a newborn baby was born with profound disabilities that wasn't going to have a good quality of life anyway, 
Now I'm talking about this man's own child. Mm-hmm. I said, would that child be acceptable to be, to be used if doing so would help your daughter? Yes, anything. Mm-hmm. He's now put his own, do- his own daughter on the slab because we have to understand the pain and anguish people feel when they see somebody they love dearly suffering. Oh, yeah. And sometimes we lose sight of what we're saying. And then I went on to say, well, what about somebody who's in a coma and so forth? And it was always, yes, anything. Mm-hmm. We cannot allow those natural human desires of love, and, and we must you know, fulfill and help our loved one. We cannot allow that to guide our, our public policy and, and, and knock them off a proper ethical course. And, and again, embryonic stem cell research has not been banned in this country. Mm-hmm. It is being funded bounteously by the federal government, by the state government certainly, and by, pri- by the private sector. So what is all the fuss about? People are being given this hysteria that they're somehow having treatments thwarted, when in fact there are a lot of people who are beginning to say, you know, if we put money into this embryonic in terms of looking for treatments, which have such serious problems such as tissue rejection, the formation of tumors, and so forth, that might be taking money away from the areas where the real treatments are to be found because the adult umbilical cord blood and so forth are moving along so nicely in early human trials. And this, this, uh, this uh, commentator should be told about that. Uh, human trials available for juvenile diabetes that cured mice and they can't get the money. That's the real scandal. Yes. There is so much to ponder on this and to really take to heart and to educate ourselves because, I mean, it just keeps going on and on, all the different... And people feel they can't understand it because it's science. They can't understand it. The concepts are easy to understand. Of course, the actual work is very hard to do. They can also uh, understand how to properly analyze these issues by sticking to the human exceptionalism. Does this promote or detract from the intrinsic value of human life? And with all due modesty, they can go to my blog every day. I have mm-hmm. things on every day where I allow people to, where I bring these stories to people, the good news, the bad news. I connect the dots, and I make it so people can ponder these very important and crucial issues from a position of knowledge and not one of uh, fear and not one of feeling like, well, who am I to say this because I'm not a scientist, I'm a plumber. Mm-hmm. Right. I think... Your blog is so important if just for those reasons. And there was another issue that came up, if you don't mind us addressing it, uh, Wesley, sure. about a young girl named Ashley. Mm. And in that particular case, I mean, here it goes again to the question of human dignity. Yep. The dignity of the human person. Um, would you care to break that open for our audience, her sure. particular I case? Think this is actually a growing story and becoming more and more important. Um, Ashley is a little disabled uh, child, profoundly disabled child. Mm-hmm. She has a neurological condition uh, in which uh, she uh, uh, supposedly has the uh, capacities of an infant. Uh, and uh, her parents, with the cooperation of doctors at, at Seattle Children's Hospital, decided that they were going to take action to keep her small, to keep her what the parents call a pillow angel, uh, because when they put her on a pillow, she stays on the pillow. Mm-hmm. And let's concede that the parents love this child. Mm-hmm. Right. Let's honor them for taking care of her at home and including her in all aspects of the family. But what they did is a step too far. They decided to take out her uterus. They gave her a hysterectomy so that she would never have a period, mm-hmm. and which would mean that there wouldn't have to be the problem of, 
of, uh, you know, the hygiene issue, mm-hmm. caring for her, and so that she could never get pregnant. Uh, now, that's if she's going to be cared for at home, that shouldn't be a problem, but right. let us concede that there are times when uh, young women, disabled women, are, are even, and even older disabled women are in institutions or in group homes where they've been raped and they have been impregnated. Mm-hmm. Um, so they said they, they gave her the hysterectomy for those purposes. They cut off her breast buds. Mm-hmm. Now, this is ridiculous in my view mm-hmm. uh, because her breasts have nothing to do with keeping her small, neither does the hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. This is to keep her from developing normal breasts which they said might cause her discomfort. They also took out her appendix uh, as a prophylactic against appendicitis when they took out her uterus, and they gave her two years' worth of strong hormones to keep her from uh, growing any bigger than she currently is, which is about 75 pounds. So the question becomes, is this moral and ethical? Mm -hmm. There's no question that if Ashley were a a quote-unquote normal child, this would be an egregious child abuse. Yeah, yep. be mutilation. Very surgeries, taking mm-hmm. out healthy organs, um, uh, and and uh, preventing normal development. There's no question about that. So then the next issue is: well, does does the, her profound disability, the context of that, and the context of the parents' motives? They want to keep her small so they can care for her more easily at home. Does that change the ethical situation? And I, I have to admit, I had to think a lot about this, mm-hmm. right. uh, and I wasn't even going to comment on it until it became a very big issue and I got a lot of media calls. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know what, it really doesn't. Because let's look at the, the motive issue. There are parents in some cultures who love their daughters mm-hmm. and who believe that the best way to assure their future uh, stability and, and security uh, and a marriage is to give her a, a female circumcision. Mm-hmm. Now, the love motive may be on question, but the act, that's what we have to look at. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we would All of us would consider that to be a mutilation. Yep, absolutely. If we were to say, well, the best way for her casually to be kept at home since she can't walk anyway is to cut off her legs, that would keep her light and, and, and with a, an ability to care for her at home. Would we countenance that? Mm-hmm. And if Ashley were a boy and to keep him sexually immature, would we countenance castration? Mm-hmm. Or let's look at the other end of life, somebody who's lost capacities. Uh, people with advanced Alzheimer's disease often wander. In order to care for them more easily, should we break their legs? Right. Uh, are we going to get to a situation where disabled people, people with very profound needs, are going to have healthy, uh, turn healthy body parts removed or, or healthy functions uh, interfered with, mm-hmm. and which in essentially is to ease our care of these people, I think this is a very dangerous place to go. Yes. And what if the motive, and I'm not saying this at all about Ashley's parents, let's mm-hmm. just say a different girl named Debbie. What if a similarly situated girl named Debbie, Debbie had become a fetish for the parents, and they had become obsessed with keeping her infantilized? Mm-hmm. And did the same things that Ashley's parents did to Debbie in order to make sure she was always a pillow angel and always a baby and, and so forth. Would we say, oh, well, that's okay? Right. And if we wouldn't, then is motive just the only justification for this? I think, I think that, the, that taking, taking medical actions to what, to what would normally be a mutilation, particularly these invasive surgeries like a hysterectomy that can cause death yeah. and require uh, ex- 
uh, full anesthesia and intubation on a respirator. This, this should not be permitted. And I'll tell you, the disability rights movement is up in arms. Yep. Mm-hmm. They are saying, wait a second, you are taking one of our sisters and you are giving her unnecessary surgeries for what is, in essence, your, what, your ease of care. The, the answer to these, and they can be very real and heartbreaking problems, mm-hmm. isn't to cut people up. It's to provide better services. That's right. Yes. It calls upon us to step up and it, serve. It precisely. Compassion, the root meaning, is to suffer with. Yeah. And what we need to do, all of us, and all of us can do it, when we know people who have uh, uh, family members who are dying at home, say in hospice, when we have people we know with uh, disabled children, we should be present with those people. Come over and care for that child so they can go to the movies, this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Be there to, to help out and be part of a community of compassionate people, which means we suffer with and carry each other's burdens. You, otherwise, you end up in a situation where desperate people can do desperate things. That's right. Yeah, and they will. And well, I, I think it's demonstrated that yep. we are capable of doing all those things. And we're capable, frankly, of justifying just about anything. You bet. Uh, Leon Cass, and, and with regard to the uh, earlier discussion on stem cells and cloning, he said that the modern, and Leon Cass is the former head of the President's Council on Bioethics, mm-hmm. the modern view is that if it promotes health and well-being and, and staves off death, anything is acceptable. And that is something we have to struggle against because anything isn't acceptable. Anything leads to horror. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It definitely does. Well, I think we've seen that as, as we've been going through these issues and uh, literally peeling them back seedy layer by seedy layer. And just when you think they can't get any worse, uh, Wesley, they do. This is just, this is chilling. Well, it illustrates the power of human logic. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we create our first principle for ourselves. And then human logic, which I think is the most intractable force in nature, takes over. If we believe A... That means we, should, we will end up doing A1, A2, A3, A4, and so forth. Yeah. If we believe B as our first principle, then we'll do B1, B2, B3, and, and logic will take us down a path. Once we decide that some human lives can be instrumentalized for the benefit of other human lives, uh, generally the weak of, uh, to benefit the strong, then that will lead places... Uh, because you lose the defense against them. You know, where, where do you draw lines? Well, they're always going to be temporary because uh, as soon as you get used to a certain behavior and you've accepted a certain premise, well, why wouldn't you move on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You lose the defense uh, that is necessary to, to establish proper ethics. Well, Wesley Smith, you are one of my heroes ah. because you are able to articulate this so clearly and yet you stand so firm and so strong and you must be getting pelted. I've got a thick skin, but, you know, the real heroes are the policemen who cha- chase uh, uh, criminals down dark alleys and, and people in Iraq who are, uh, you know, uh, whatever one thinks about the war, who are standing up and, and selflessly trying to help a, a, a foreign people. Mm-hmm. All well, I do is write a blog and write articles and do some public speaking. You're m- one of my heroes, no so matter what you thing. say. Yeah. And, so it's uh, important stuff we're blogging and uh, thinking about. Yes, here. absolutely. And another person that we care about deeply, and maybe you could give us an update on his health, is Bob Schindler. Yeah. Uh, uh, how's he doing? Uh, Robert Schindler is uh, Terry Schiavo's father. And uh, several weeks ago, he had, a, he had two strokes. Mm. Uh, and uh, he, was in, in a, in, he was in some pretty uh, dire straits for a while, but I spoke with... Um, 
his son Bobby Schindler um, the other day by email, and uh, uh, he is doing better. He's in rehabilitation. He does not have any cognitive uh, uh, loss, and uh, he has some uh, uh, physical problems on the right side, but the uh, rehabilitation specialists are pretty encouraged by the progress he's making. So people's thoughts and prayers are certainly uh, requested. And, and, you know, he's been receiving a lot of cards of support, and, and Bobby tells me that uh, that has really helped his outlook, and which, of course, the outlook has helped him in rehab. Can I give an address for people? Please to do. Please right? do. Absolutely. And, and any cards of just of support and, and say we're praying for you or we're thinking about you would really be appreciated. It's Robert Schindler, S-C-H-I-N-D-L-E-R, care of the Terry Shivo Foundation, 5562 Central Avenue. That's 5562 Central Avenue, number 2, St. Petersburg, Florida, 33707. One last time, Robert Schindler, care of the Terry Shivo Foundation, 5562 Central Avenue, number 2, St. Petersburg, Florida, 33707. And again, if people go to my blog, wesleyjsmith.com, I've got that address on uh, one of my posts, and they can uh, just do a research for Robert Schindler, and it'll pop right up. Well, you can count on us, Wesley. We'll put yep. that on our website as well, Great. and a That's connection good. to your, your blog. You know, this, this family has had years of, of real stress and, and, uh, and hell, and uh, the, the getting support from people, who uh, uh, it, means, it means the world to them. Absolutely. Well, we'll get uh, everyone in this part of the country to do their part. Great. Uh, Wesley Smith, we appreciate it so much. Thank you for uh, being with us today. And, Please and, come and back sharing. again because you are just, uh, there's more issues out there. Oh, they never, as you said, they never stop coming. Thank uh-huh. you very much for having me. I appreciate it.